Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Spider-Man No Way Home, starring Tom Holland, Zendaya, Benedict Cumberbatch, Jacob Batalon, Willem Dafoe, Alfred Molina, Jamie Foxx, and Marissa Tomei. Written by Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, and directed by John Watts. Welcome to Rye Smile Films. As we just said just a second ago, this is the last show for 2021. Ending, what a year. Yeah, what a year. Ending with arguably the most anticipated film of the year coming coming out. This kind of seems this uh, December... That made it across the finish line as released in the year, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, this December 15th, 17th release date is tending to harbor some big films like The Force Awakens and Last Jedi came out around this same time. So... I think like it's it's a good because people are off for the holidays and you know it's time to go to the movies and if they wanted people to get back into the theaters to come see an event kind of level film this kind of feels like what they were building towards it was weird yesterday too i agree you're absolutely right Mm -hmm. how there's a holiday run Mm -hmm. three or four weeks here yeah there were a couple of other semi-large releases yesterday that opened on the same weekend. Yeah. Nightmare Alley. Yeah. And there's another thing that I'm forgetting too. I don't want to open up against this movie. It, I was wondering, like, is that movie just such a hunk of junk they're just trying to get it out? But everything that I've read said it's Del Toro's best work in some time. I got I got to tell you, I was a little intrigued while well, I was watching football on Thursday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But there was an ad for Nightmare Alley and it said, with the most shocking twist ending yeah. you've seen in years. And I was like, that hooks me a little bit to want to check that out. So, I know. So weird day yesterday. And then the Matrix Resurrections comes out next week. You know what I mean? So we're kind of really jam-packed here with a lot of stuff. That's theatrical and HBO Max. It is. It? Yeah. The last HBO Max uh, tie-in. Hmm. I don't know. But here we are to talk well, about... Well, hold on. Hold on. We cut you off. <laughs> okay. And some big things coming in the next, like, TV-wise. Oh, oh, yeah. Book of Boba and Cobra Kai are both right around the corner. Uh, Cobra Kai. Uh, uh, Actually, New Year's Eve, man. That's what I'm spending my day doing. Heck yeah, man. Binge <laughs> that whole show. Terry Silver. God bless him. Coming back. Yeah. Excellent. But today we're opening up some Buffalo Trace, you know, an oldie but goodie, uh, and a rare bottle to find. You know, uh, ah. the thing about Buffalo Trace is when it's available, they usually have a lot of it. And then it goes away, and it's you can't find it for months at a time. Uh, but then when you get it, they usually the stores usually tell you one limit per customer. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. But cheers to you, Matt. Cheers to you. Cheers. You can't go wrong for that. And what is it? It's like twenty five dollars. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Good deal. Well, let's dive right in to our flight question. Alrighty, I hand it off to you for the flight this week. So our flight question this week deals with future Spider-Man villains. And we've had a lot of discussions on the show about this, but Mm -hmm. I think we're going to do it properly today. Yeah. I asked you to choose one that you'd like to see going forward and then cast it. Okay. You want to go first? Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, Because I've had this in like my back pocket for years. Okay. Because I want to see this villain and I think if done in like the right type of Spider-Man film, I think it could be really cool. 
Uh, the villain's the chameleon, mm-hmm. uh, and the actor I'm going to cast is a uh, who I've referred to on this podcast as El Chameleon because he transforms into every role. It's Gary Johnny Oldman. Depp. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> no, Gary Oldman yeah, as the chameleon. So good. Uh, think of just all the accents and different personalities he could have. And mm-hmm. you know what I kind of want? I kind of want like a Spider-Man heist film. Yeah. With like the chameleon trying to steal some sort of diamond for some nefarious purpose. Maybe he's working for the kingpin. Uh, maybe he's working for this. But think of all just the, the fun you can have. And then there's also the kind of doppelganger aspect of he dresses up as Spider-Man to pin crimes on him too. So Love that. Uh, I think you could get Gary Oldman. He seems like someone who could jump into this Marvel Studios uh, vagabond of <laughs> of actors. So that's my choice. Uh yeah, the, this chameleon showing up, I think, issue number one of Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, he hasn't seen anything in uh, a TV show. He wasn't in the Nicholas Hammond TV show. He hasn't been in any films. He's been in the cartoons, but that's really about it. Good choice. Mm-hmm. I was certain you were going to go with the chameleon's brother, <laughs> Sergei Kravenov, because we have a lot of talks about him. Sure, and yeah. we have to mention him, but I'm not going to choose him either. Yeah, I love your choice though, and I think he's been cast. Uh, is that right? Yeah, Craven. Craven. I think so. I thought that uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson was oh, yeah. cast in some sort of Craven project that are working on. Yeah, you're right. Okay, um, you actually mentioned the guy that I want just in that little uh, spiel you were going through, and it's the Kingpin. Mm. It really got me thinking today with, spoiler alert, an appearance from a cameo from Mr. Daredevil, Charlie Cox, in this film that we're about to cover. You know, we've gone back and forth about where Spider-Man works, and it's the neighborhood setting. Mm-hmm. We don't want him globe-trekking or mystical or space, although I think that maybe there's an argument to be made today that if done properly, it can work sure. in some ways. Mm-hmm. But you, know, you hit the nail on the head. Look, if you're talking heist with the chameleon, mm-hmm. and we're introducing Daredevil, who, look, this is just fanboy service for me because... That's my second favorite Marvel character is Daredevil. I can't wait to talk about that moment because we'll get to it. I think that Kingpin offers a lot of great opportunities for the Enforcers, which is just punchy fodder, to the Wrecking Crew, Mm -hmm. to Bullseye, to interconnecting a lot of different worlds, including the Defenders and all that street-level stuff Mm -hmm. that outside of Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, Spidey works really well with. And he works really well with the Human Torch, too, Mm -hmm. but... And I want Mark Strong to play it. Oh, nice. I don't want fat. I mm-hmm. want Mark Strong. You don't want, do you remember in Into the Spider-Verse when he was as big as the screen? Yeah. <laughs> I don't need that. You don't need that. Okay, yeah. Mark Strong, absolutely. Yeah. You know what else comes out next week? What? The Kingsman prequel. Oh, yeah, that's right. I actually want to see that. I do too. Uh, Yeah. What we, again, the dumping ground for, okay, 2021's ending. We got to get these movies off the slate. Put them at the end of Christmas. There's no way that movie's going to blow either. I know. The first two Kingsmen have been pretty solid. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they have any directorial changes, so I think we're, go- we're good there. Mm-hmm. Matthew Vaughn, right? Yeah. Uh, great choice. Yeah, I want to see both of those. I Maybe think- we shoot them together because you mentioned Chameleon as the envoy of the Kingpin. Maybe it's the same movie. Yeah. 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 And I, I think it gets to what we want is like a street level Spidey because I think I told you this week, rewatch Far From Home, and this just like I'm so detached from that version of traveling to Europe and. It's so big, and that whole London Bridge Mysterio drone scene is so ridiculous. Like, I just want some, like, mafia shenanigans, and, like, you know, you can get the hand in there. I don't mind. Uh, There's uh, any amount of things you can do with that in New York City. New York City is such a a, a setting for Spider-Man, and kind of like that they got back to a little of that in in this film as well. Yeah, me too. Excellent. Well, great choice. Love it. Let's dive right in. Again, ladies and gentlemen, 
spoiler alert, you hear it at the beginning of the show, Matt and I are not going to hold any punches. We're going to reveal every surprise, twist, turn, alley <laughs> that we're going to go down for this film. So if you haven't seen it, you got to go. Turn it off. It. Yeah, turn it off. Go check it out. Come back and listen to us. But let's dive right into our review breakdown of Spider-Man No Way Home. When Mysterio revealed my identity, my entire life got screwed up. I was wondering if maybe you could make it so that he never did. Strange. Don't cast that spell. It's too dangerous. Fine. I won't. The entire world is about to forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Wait, everyone? Can't some people still know? That's not how the spell works. So MJ's gonna forget about everything we've ever been through? Stop tampering with the spell. Oh my god, Ned. He's my best friend. My Aunt May should really stop talking. happened a lot to talk about there when we when we get to it but let's start right at the beginning spider-man no way home is very much the halloween 2 of the spider-man sequels picking up exactly where the last film ended which is quentin beck's uh expose via j jonah jameson who's not necessarily a bugle uh, chief. He's more like a YouTube guy. YouTube guy in his like basement yeah. <laughs> broadcasting conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. He's probably running a podcast, right? Alex Jones. Yep. Uh, and he's uh, he's probably running a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, that puts us in a very unfavorable light because <laughs> we're in your office. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's the expose revealing that Peter Parker is indeed Spider Man. We immediately get to see the ramifications of that event as he's in the street swinging, and it's just revealed to him like, "Hey, look, it's Peter Parker." Everyone starts finding out about it, and it instantly turns into chaos for Mister Parker and those around him, those that are associated with him. Matt, I really liked this little kind of opening five, ten minutes of the film because, you know, this is a problem that, you know, I'm a little unfamiliar with, you know, Peter ever really having to go through other than in Civil War when he reveals himself as uh, I am Peter Parker. Like, usually his identity is his most well-guarded secret because, A, if it gets out, we know who's going to get put in danger, the loved ones closest to him. That's why he wears the mask. Uh, So we get to see how... Life gets disrupted for him from that. Going to school, it's a circus. You know, helicopters outside Aunt May's apartment. I mean, everything just goes to complete hell instantly. Hidden identities and superhero dumb can be troubling. Mm-hmm. I think Batman and Spider-Man have handled it the best. Mm-hmm. And that's been an ongoing battle for both of them for the duration of the series, yes? Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think it's really well done and... What I can appreciate is as much as I did not like the prior entry of Spider-Man Homecoming, Far From Home. Far From Home, yeah. They managed to salvage something from the Mysterio bit that allowed this to go forward and keep continuity. Mm -hmm. For a movie that breaks all kind of chains of what continuity is going to be in the last half of its film, Mm -hmm. it's seamless here. Yeah. So for all of the nonsense of flying drones and video cameras and all the Mysterio bullshit that was that movie, for me. Yeah. I thought you thought I think you liked it a bit more than me, but I don't think either I, one of us are like put that on the mantle of great pictures. I don't know this last viewing, man. That might Rough. be in the one, maybe a contender for the worst Spider-Man. Like, I, okay, I, so I'm all right. <laughs> I, I did not because I hated it. I did not enjoy just the direction, and we'll talk about a little bit about this later. I didn't like how just on a pedestal, Peter just has access to tech, Stark tech, oh, yeah. and Stark three D printing machines. 
And spoiler alert, the end of this movie was so refreshing for me yeah. that we're kind of getting back to basics with why I like the character. Perfectly said. But, so, yeah, I mean, we moved through that mess and, and used something from it to set this up. Yeah, yeah, the inciting incident. The J. Jonah Jameson reveal of Peter Parker has been a multi-million dollar effort that's going to pay bankroll after bankroll after bankroll to the Daily Bugle or whatever, Planet Bugle. What Bugle? I think he's a Bugle. Yeah. And it's that is canon in Spider-Man comicdom. Mm-hmm. So they handled it really well. And what happens if, because it's not so much that he needs to be secret. Yeah. Batman's secrecy has to do with the fortune that is behind it. Sure, yeah. Spider-Man's secrecy has to do with his loved ones now being in jeopardy. Yeah. So there you go. They handled it really well. They, I agree with you. They do. And uh, it's great to say, uh, see uh, J.K. Simmons back as Jameson. Uh, there's only one person who could play that character. You know yeah. what I mean? He's, yes. he's, he's so cantankerous the whole time. Uh, and I like how he shows up. He's going to show up on scene here in, in one of the scenes coming up. But, mm-hmm. yeah, we immediately go into literally damage control mode. The Department of Damage Control, who I think showed up in Homecoming. I think they're the ones investigating uh, the Keaton uh, cleanup crew of New York. Yeah. So they've kind of been established already before, but they're trying to figure out, okay, you're spiraling. What's going on here? All these people don't talk unless you have a lawyer. And then we get the scene here, which unless you totally binged, you know, Netflix's daredevil for those that took that plunge and you should definitely take that plunge. Mm-hmm. What a cool cameo. You know what I mean? There was the rumors like this film was just tout with rumors from the word go. You know what I mean? Who's in it? What's it about? Is this going to happen? And this was one of them kind of floating around. And I don't know necessarily knew if I kind of bit. I was like, yeah, that, that would be cool. But I don't know if he's going to show up. Sure as shit, he shows up and it's really cool. Like it's it's enough of a tease and an appetite to establish where the MCU might be going with some of their other fare, which is more street level. I mean, Hawkeye's doing a pretty good job of like this kind of street level, mm-hmm. you know, nefarious kind of operations, which I'm really, I'm really digging so far. Yeah, I love it when he fights the flag smashers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, then uh we would get that, that that good line like you know he's getting bombarded with you know kind of hate mail and whatnot, but they throw a brick through his window and Daredevil catches it. It's so cool, and he said he says, "Who are you again?" And he's like, "I'm just a very good lawyer." Yeah, Charlie Cox is so good as Matt Murdock, yep. and I really hope that that plays out. Well, I don't think it'll be as gritty as it was on Netflix because that show's so violent at times. Mm-hmm. They'll probably play that down a bit, but if he is indeed coming back and to do something, whether it's showing up in the next Spider-Man film or his own solo venture, I'm so down. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, sign me up because that's that, that, this is the stuff I like. And they've teamed up a lot. Oh, yeah. And that presents a whole array of villains on both sides that we can expand the universe they with. They share a lot of villains. They do. Yeah, I think a Daredevil issue too. I think he fights Electro. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He does. Uh, but... So it's 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 such a mess here, and you know it's the first day of school. You know, they're the big thing on their mind, and this is what also was refreshing for this. You know, all these Marvel films are like the goals of the the wants and the needs of these characters is just so much. So the Eternals, let's not even go back to that. No, they're just not. worried about trying to get into college. You know what I mean? Yeah, submitting yeah, their exactly a, their application letters and high school's a circus. They got to get they got to yep. get uh, wanded before they go into into the school and it's like, how can we have any, you know, sense of a normal life? we got to go to where it's quiet. Um, and we just trying to worry about the next steps here. And then that's where the first kind of issues of, of problems arise, which is all these schools are rejecting the three of them be based on a, your Spider-Man and B your association with this vigilante. Yeah. He's not even really seen as a hero uh, no. for all that he's kind of done. 
yeah, it's a perfect beginning. Like we all are struggling to get into MIT or whatever college we want and none of us take us because we are now exposed as this consortium of, I don't know, anarchists or I don't know what the hell they mm-hmm. media would perceive them as, but troublesome or meddlesome, <laughs> not to be too Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Youths that no college would want. Yeah. And here is where the beginning of, I think, where this film has a lot of success starts. We all know the phrase, with great power comes great responsibility. And it's easy to say, yeah, I think that that feels weighty and there's gravity to that. But the truth is, it matters for Peter and Spider-Man because in his efforts to protect everyone, and that includes his loved ones, he is cursed with an immense burden of guilt for what has happened in these efforts. Mm -hmm. So we all know the the Ben Parker, and that's why I'm Spider-Man, because I'm trying to make up for this uncle that I couldn't save. That's where it starts. Mm -hmm. You get into Mary Jane. I'm sorry, Gwen Stacy. You get into these deaths and deaths and deaths, and we're not there yet, because it's still early in the first act. Mm -hmm. But his friends can't get into college now for nothing that they did except befriend him. I got to tell you, that scene when they're opening up their letters and they just like, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yep. Kind of heartbreaking. I was, yeah. like, felt bad for them. I was like, but then their undying loyalty to Peter. It's okay. Um, I'll figure something out. And you, you know what I mean? They were still like okay with it. They didn't want to get Peter down with their horrible news. The weight of that. Mm-hmm. I've got to fix this for my friends is what drives every decision. This poor guy. It's why he has to wear the mask. Mm-hmm. Now that's a setup. Well, I think it boils down to guilt, right? Yeah. That's the setup. The question for the film is, mm-hmm. are they going to pay? Are you going to do it? Like the rule is three, right? Set it up three times and then pay sure, it off. Yeah. We're going to set it up way more than three times. Yeah. And a spoiler alert, they're going to pay it off in spades. Yeah. Uh, the, and then the guilt portion, when you think back of all the other Spider-Man mm-hmm. films that have come, yep. there's a crux in all of those films that deals with guilt. Yep. Whether it's, I'm going to go to this wrestling match and not uh, beat down the guy that's going to kill my uncle. I'm not going to give up Gwen Stacy. That way I put her in danger and she ends up dying. Uh, There's always this aura of guilt surrounding Peter. And again, this is something I really like with the character and it's his response to the guilt. So I kind of like this uh, little nod too to Mary Jane. She's kind of working in like a little bakery shop, which was kind of a, I thought a little nod to the first Raimi film where she was working at the, Hey Mary, don't, don't roll your eyes at me. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Like that guy. Uh, so all the little just kind of nods that, that we're doing. This is uh, this is a great setup. This is so much better than let's take this trip to Europe and oh. then Quentin Beck's. And then you know what else I forgot in that movie? That Fury's a scroll. He's a scroll oh, the whole yeah. time. Uh, so it's a scroll botched mission for Edith uh, Stark's uh, inheritance glasses. What? Yeah, that, that movie's a Who mess. Who gives a shit that, about that? That movie's a mess. Uh, is there a flurkin? There's not a flurkin in that one. Uh, so what about then, shawarma? <clears throat> No shawarma. <laughs> We're just finding disaster pothole after disaster pothole and driving the car at full speed over them. Seriously, yeah. yeah. Uh, but here it's in the in the diner when he uh, kind of sees these Halloween decorations and kind of sees this like guy in like a, a wizard's hat and he and he kind of gets an idea. He's like, "Well, why why can't this guy help me out? I mean, he can do pretty much anything he wants." So then we go to the Sanctum Santorum and, you know, the interactions between Strange and Peter when we've had them limitedly in Infinity War have been pretty good. You know, almost kind of the nagging little kid brother to like, you know, either dad or like an older brother. Uh, their banter back and forth is, is really good. 
I don't know what the hell's going on in the Sanctum Santorum, but is is it is it's just snowing? It's just there's snow coming in. It, it's like the winter wonderland. Yeah, I guess uh, Wong. Yeah, who's now taken the mantle of Sorcerer Supreme from Strange because he was gone for five years, or one of the two of them forgot to seal off some corridor and Siberian winter blew into the Sanctum Sanctorum. What about those two poor? workers slave-like worker robot kids that are just shoveling snow mindlessly i'm like are those astral images or are those what it, that, that's kind of weird who are they did, did you do hawkeye episode five yet no okay can i um it's it's the opening i need yeah, to mention me. this real quick so episode five of hawkeye ladies and gentlemen opens up with yelena florence pew on like a mission and it shows her get blipped and then it shows her blip back and then it's oh. five years later what I thought was interesting, the way they handled it is it was instantaneous for them. As far as they knew, it yeah. was it was about like a minute hmm. went by when five years went by in the real world. So th- that hadn't really been established yet of what it was like for them time-wise. Good moment. So that was that was pretty cool. So yeah, Strange got blipped. And then yeah, in the interim, Wong's taken over as Sorcerer Supreme, which is pretty interesting. Hmm. Um you told me I need to watch that one. You do. There's a big one. We're going to watch it, I think, tonight. You, you do. There's. I don't want to spoil the, the the final moments of that, but it's 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 pretty cool where we're going. All right. Um. So he's like, yeah. He's like, can you do it in the little audio clip we uh, I played, which was the trailer? Can you do something to you know make it so that everyone doesn't know that I'm Spider Man? Go back to the time before Mysterio, and he's like. Another thing that I forgot is being that this is somehow still all Steve Rogers' fault. <laughs> exactly. Strange doesn't have the eye of Agamotto anymore. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He doesn't have the time stone. So that was kind of the first realization that Rogers had to go back to 2012 to give it to Tilda Swinton. That doesn't necessarily put it back in Strange's possession right. if we're back in the, the present. Well, at least we're acknowledging what happened in some butterfly effect in a reasonable <laughs> thank, way. Thank God. <laughs> thank God. Yeah. Maybe, Jesse, maybe... Mm-hmm. One of the things we can say, and this is maybe 20 minutes into the film, mm-hmm. we're doing in this film is with the introduction of Charlie Cox, with the time stone element, with the carryover from Mysterio and the reveal of Spider-Man's identity, what we're getting is, I think, more than a Band-Aid for some of the injuries that had been caused in sure. some of the prior missteps. Yeah. And then when you had the, the, the Hawkeye-Florence Pew deal mm-hmm. with the blip in there, Maybe those wounds are starting to heal or scarring over in a very not grotesque manner. Because <laughs> scars can be ugly. No scar tissue. See anything after Terminator 2. Literally. And <laughs> we're setting up some possibility for some positive things going I forward. I think you might be right. Yeah. So, look, man, 20 minutes in, we're off to a really good start because... We're fixing, it's interesting, and we're setting up. Yeah, and I think we're going to get to something that I think we really like about the strange character, which is the irresponsibility of him at times. Yeah. He just feels like he can go rogue at any time just based on his personality, you know what I mean? Yeah. So Wong's like, strange. You can't, don't even consider doing what what, what that spell could do and the ramifications that it might have. Mm -hmm. And so Wong goes through his little portal to go do some other mission or whatever. Probably to go find Shang Chi and uh, Aquafina, right? Mm. <laughs> or go fight Abomination. <laughs> Gosh, but he takes him down to this kind of lower levels of the Sanctum Santorum, which is almost like very cavern cavernous, and it's its own little separate laboratory. And he he starts doing this spell, and then it's in that moment where Peter's like, "Well, you know what? I want everyone to forget me, but 
MJ can forget about me because I just, you know, profess my love to her. And, you know, like she can't just forget who I am. Like, think of all the work I'm going to have to do to go and undo that. What about Aunt May? Like, like I, I can't do that either. And what about my, my best bud, Ned? Like, the people closest to him, and again, what what's good about Spider-Man is he's got a, a real nice tight-knit collective around him. Mm-hmm. Four or five people. Yeah. Flash, too. Flash, I think, is on the Flash periphery, Tom- but at least interesting. Yeah, Flash Thompson really coming around here is, like, part of the, the click a little bit. Um, Maybe he's going to be the next Venom. He could. You don't know. We don't know where, where, what direction this this could really go down. Well, that's coming, too. Don't worry, everybody. Or it's a setup. Yeah. Or he could be the Scarlet Spider. Or not Scarlet Spider. Uh, oh, no, I'm thinking Anti-Venom. of Ben, ben Riley. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I That's lo- it. I love that suit, though. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's when Peter starts really messing with the spell, and Strange has to start over like five or six times. And in that, it just kind of creates like this crazy concoction that Strange has to like literally bottle into a box, almost yeah. like the genie into like the, the lamp. Yeah. Uh, and seemingly everything's like a okay, but strange is like, Oh man, like that, that was a close one. Like hopefully like, you know, we can't do that, but I think, it, it, but it didn't work. Right. Everyone still knows who he is because the next thing he's, I got to go convince the MIT board of selectees that we're not terrible people. And at least my friends deserve to get into MIT. Maybe me if you're, if you're nice, but he, he goes and tracks... No, ben. I think it does work, except for the four people that he said, which would be Ned, MJ, and Aunt May. I think the rest of the world's forgotten. I do think that they have forgotten. Have they? I think so. Okay. I, I guess I, I guess I can go... I, I just felt like the MIT lady kind of still knew he was Spider-Man, or maybe not. Maybe I'm just... I don't know. That's a good... You know what? Uh, I, I don't know either way if it really changes. I don't think it matters. Yeah. The identity thing's pretty much done now, so... Sure. But he goes to track her down and yeah. can convince, and she's like, oh, Mr. Parker, what are you doing tracking me on the, on the freeway here? Mm-hmm. And here we get our first anomaly showing up, which is just chaos on this freeway, and Dr. Octopus's tentacles are making waves, and then Alfred Molina makes his return to the franchise. This guy was so good in Spider-Man, too. Like, to me, you, you have a conversation a lot of, a lot of times with... Um, when we talk about like the justice league and I was like, they don't need to do a new green lantern. They've already have a green lantern. It's Ryan Reynolds. Just use him again. Like, and we get in bogged down with the reboot and rebooting the actor and recasting the actor. This film figured out. It was like, you know what? If we're going to do doc Ock and goblin again, or any of these characters, let's just get the guys that we are that already did it. Yeah. Cause they did it good already. So it serves two masters too. Do you know why I say that? Mm. It introduces them in their original form, which is a novelty fanboy nod, but also done really well, I think, in this film. Mm-hmm. And secondarily, it introduces that character, or at least the guise of that character, into this Spider-Man world. Mm-hmm. There may not be the same Doc Ock in there. Yeah. There won't be, because mm-hmm. he's gone at the end of the film. Yeah, But he knows who that is now. Yeah, So we don't have to dick around with the pearls mm-hmm. in the alley after my parents have been shot exactly again yeah. because it's already been. So that's what I'm saying. We serve contemporary mm-hmm. and novelty at the same time. And being that, the, you know, the whole space time flux is so disarray right now because of Steve Rogers. Yeah. Uh, it's, not, it's not like he can't come back and create a, uh, a ruckus. You know what I mean? Yeah. That yeah. chip, the chip can get broken again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I just like that. They didn't like, let's recast another actor to play doc. Ock and let's reset up this origin story. No, we know him. We know that that whole story, go see that movie. Mm-hmm. Now we're ready to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think this film really trusts that people have seen the prior Spider-Man films 
going into this one, which I wouldn't say is a necessity, but if you have a familiarity with it, you're going to enjoy it, I think, a whole lot more. Sure. Or appreciate these moments more. For sure. Even the music cues. So when Ak makes his appearance, they play boom, 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 boom. And it was like his cue from the original movie. Danny Elfman's Doc Ock. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this fight scene's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when Peter's arms, his iron spider arms come up and that ox like, oh, you're like, you're trying to show me up or something. They have a real cool battle here. And it's not until, you know, Peter gets the upper hand with his nanotech to take control of the arms or he realizes you're not Peter Parker. You're not the Peter Parker that I know. And our Peter, Tom Holland Parker's really confused by that. And like, what are you, what are you talking about? But he's able to handle the situation really well based on what his world offers in terms of technology, the Stark tech. We have a whole movie where we see Peter battle Doc Ock and Amazing Spider-Man 2. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would argue that this fight on the bridge and yeah. up the scaffolding of whatever structure that bridge is yeah. is the best battle we've seen from the two of them at all. With Doc, yeah. So we get the in the original one, you know, we have on the side of the building with Aunt May and all that, and that's fine. But the final battle between Doc and Spidey isn't really... I my like tentacles that. versus your arms. I like that train bit too. Yeah, that's pretty good too. Yeah, but, but this, this is, is good. This is good. Yeah, this I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm kind of wondering how this is going to play out. And you know what they ended up using the Octavius character is maybe more for benefit than villainy, which mm-hmm. I think is also a good thing too. Yeah, uh, that's something that the that the game played around a lot with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking about the game on the yeah. PlayStation, yes. ladies and gentlemen. Please play it; it's so much fun. Yeah. Uh, but starting, like you know, looking at like the 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 good natured scientific efforts of Otto Octavius, and and less on the villainy, and they save that for you know towards the end of that that game. Mm-hmm. But th- but y'all, we got to introduce one more here. Here comes Norman Osborn on his goblin glider to just make more mess, mm-hmm. and so then they they get blipped out by. Uh, uh, strange back to the under underneath caverns of the Sanctum Santorum and he's captured Octavius in a cell and then often this cell is the lizard from the first amazing Spider-Man um, and then Strange really kind of lays out the the plan is like when we did what we did we kind of created kind of a rift and all these different variants from all these different universes the multiverse is real started showing up in our present day New York so Peter Parker, what I need you to do is bring them back here and we're going to send them all back. Cool premise. Now we're kind of doing something we like. Yeah. Quests. <laughs> right. Exactly. We got to find them, gather them and send them back and bring them back. Yeah. And artifacts that we need to complete the quest, which would be that strange box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesse, you're right. I, I, I didn't even think about the quest element of that. That's your spot on. Yeah. That's, exactly. that, that's act two. Act two of this film's fairly, I think, really also really well done, which is it's the questing of the find the villains and bring them back. And then what we're going to end up doing with them to kind of, you know, make make a, a wrong a right. Yeah. Uh, one little detail that I really appreciate. So in, in the Spider-Man wears so many suits all the time, you know what I mean? Whether it's black or this, it has wings or whatever. Uh, Iron Spider armor. In the trailers, they show a spider suit that's black with mm-hmm. kind of like gold elements. And I was like, what is another suit? We have time for another suit? Peter is so distraught with his life and upheaval that someone throws a green slushy at him early on in the film and he can't get the stain out. So what he does is he turns the suit inside out. Yeah. And so all the wires and everything are exposed and like it's him being resourceful, but it's all he's got. You know what I mean? Clever. Until Aunt May is able to clean it up for him a little bit later. Yeah. 
I love that she works at Feast. You know, that's kind of a, a Spider-Man staple, which is Aunt May's, uh, you know, works for a homeless shelter that helps, you know, the downtrodden. And they do that really good in, in the game as well of that that part of the universe. But it's very present here in, in this version. I think Marissa Tomei is really good in this in this version. She's kind of had not a whole lot to do in the last two, but here she's very much an active participant in helping guide Peter and being okay with, A, I already know you're Spider-Man. B, it's okay that people found out. C, we'll find a way to deal with this. B or D, you just have to be patient with this whole process. Yeah. She's a real good kind of even footing for, for Peter as he's trying to go about all of this. And then I think something that works better for me than it that had in the last two is is MJ and Ned. Yep. Uh, I think uh, Zendaya, and she's been showing up in a lot of movies we've been covering, like Dune and, and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, she was okay in the last one, but it was me maybe having to get more on board with this version of Mary Jane that they're going with. Here, man, I am on board. Like, I, like I'm really digging their relationship. Him and Ned are like, you know, they're still really tight. And I like this little collective that they have, as Strange says, to Scooby-Doo this shit. Yeah. Um, but they get to use their resources. You wonder how could these three get into MIT? Well, they're pretty smart kids. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They yeah. really know how to, their way around tech, and they really are willing to do anything for their friend. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's most important. Yeah. But do you think that the collective works? You know, pretty well. I think the team element works great in this film. Excellent. Yep. Excellent. This is the best version of Zendaya's MJ yet. Oh yeah. Oh, and yeah. and Ned leads too. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about him a, a little bit later as well because what they could do with his character going forward could be really, really cool. Well, look, for everybody that knows, it's right there on the vine. Mm-hmm. He goes south in a big way. Mm-hmm. He becomes the Hobgoblin, one of them. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're there yet, but... Don't you think... With we'll, the, we'll get... I mean, we'll talk about it, like you said, but... Let's wait till the scene when I think the evidence is is kind of there. Yeah. But let's quest. Let's quest for a little bit. So we go, you know, to upstate New York. You know, he's looking for Willem Dafoe's goblin, which we've been told is A, dead. He died mm-hmm. in his battle with Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And B's a real loose cannon. Yep. I'm so glad they brought Willem Dafoe back for this thing. That scene in the alleyway where he's talking to the mask again. So good. <laughs> Love that. And I think the filmmakers and the creative forces just said, you know what? Screw the mask because Dafoe's already looks like a goblin. Let's just have him go maskless for this thing. Mm-hmm. We'll give him a little purple cloak. With the traditional cloth. Tattered cloth. Outfit yeah. instead mm-hmm. of that goblin armor. Yeah. Can I say something? I'm going to, this is. Yeah. All right, everybody, don't throw anything at me at your computer or wherever you're listening through Mm -hmm. when I say this. Although I loved William Defoe's Green Goblin, I didn't particularly care for the metal version of him. I don't think you're alone in that regard. I wanted him to be in cloth with a mask. I think I've shown you, have I shared the pictures with you of that mask that they wanted to do? I wish they'd gone with that. I don't know why they bailed, but that was so cool. But I'm with you. Like The armor itself, I think, is is purposeful. Full, but like sure. that, that whole like he had time to like make the, the like goblin looking helmet. <laughs> I know, but they just say screw it. He 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 breaks it down, and the, the whole Jekyll and Hyde with with that character is so interesting. Mm-hmm. And what we're gonna find out, and I think we both know this about the goblin, is when that guy goes bad, he goes really bad, mm-hmm. and he's not to be messed around with. Like he's he's a bad dude. Yeah. But I love seeing him because, like, you know, Willem Dafoe is just, he's such a character, you know what I mean? Like, his facial expressions, like, his eyes, his mouth, how, like, silly he can be. And he's got a great line coming up here when they eventually get him back. Um, he's at the feast center with Aunt May. as like He comes in as, like, a homeless guy. 
Uh, he said he went to his old house, but someone else was living there. I imagine that penthouse mansion he used to live in. Dane DeHaan. <laughs> yeah. Chris Cooper played member of the throwaway Chris Cooper bit in that movie. Briefly, yes. Uh, but he has a great line, too, when they're trying to kind of figure out everything. And he's like, I could help. I'm something of a scientist myself. Love it. You know, they just call him back to the first one when he said that. And that's become a very memeable kind of uh, line in, in pop culture. But I really kind of like this bit when, you know, Electro shows up. And the last time we saw Electro, man, we were super hard on this character. Blue, disgusting, dunk tank guy that just is a nothing character in that movie. He's so worthless. <laughs> so redeemable for your mm-hmm. criticisms, which are accurate. Yeah. On let's spend all this time to make Electro. Let's make him look nothing like Electro. Let's use the Ultimates version of Electro. Yeah. Another comic book. Yeah, let's make him look like Mr. Freeze from Batman and Robin. Yeah, with a hoodie. <laughs> yeah. And then once we create him, we'll just put him in a tank. No. And you know what's great about it? Yeah. Well, we're not there yet. But um, when they actually get Electro into powered Jamie Foxx Electro, I've always thought mm-hmm. that the two most difficult Spider-Man characters to make look authentic and figure out how to do on the screen would be Electro and Mysterio. And we th- I, my criticisms of Mysterio are more character and plot-wise, yeah. and less the costume looked awesome in that movie. They managed to do it with Mysterio. Yeah. But Electro is green and yellow with a Star Spark mask. They're going to pull off the Star Spark later in the film, yeah, Jesse. real briefly, yeah. And it looks amazing. Yeah. But you're right. We finally get the Jamie Foxx and the recognition of, I always thought, maybe this is just me. Mm-hmm. When you think about like the Rhino... As much as I like the chameleon or even Craven or the fucking vulture. Yeah. When you take the ability to do bad things as a derivative of power, yeah. Electro's gotta be like the one or two. Mm-hmm. Electro has the power to harness and absorb electricity and emit it. Mm-hmm. Two characters in Marvel have been so widely disregarded with that power. It's Storm. Yeah. Dude, I, I don't yeah. like Storm, but she's a, like, are you kidding me? Yeah, the movies can't really figure her out either. You know what I mean? Just on premise though. Yeah. Right? Yeah, the elements, the weather. Yeah. And then him. Yeah. And maybe that's because they both can harness, like if she can do Storm stuff, like lightning, right? So think about that. Yeah. If you can control and absorb electricity, you can turn everything into a blackout. And then as the controller of that, you become ultimately powerful as they have to get it from you. And you can zap anyone you want and travel yeah. like through electrical current, which essentially is flying, but invisible flying. Yeah. Honestly, Jesse, yeah. Electro is ridiculously powerful. How are you going to stop that? And I don't then, know. You can't. And then when they supply him with an arc reactor later. Yikes. Yeah, watch out. Right. A yeah. battery. So then him, and then also in this scene... Uh, so anyway, yeah, yay, yay to the uh, yeah, you know, electro yeah. reimagining. I, I like it. He's not blue. He's not ridiculous. It looks cool. I'm ready to see him run amok. Yep. And he's the one of all the group of villains that they kind of collect here at the beginning that's really kind of iffy on the plan. You know what I mean? Uh, we'll get to that here in, in just a second. But Flint Marco, Thomas Hayden Church from Spider-Man 3 shows up. And I love that when he first sees Spider-Man, he says... It's Peter, it's me, it's it's Flint, I'm here to help. Because when they ended that movie, they were kind of on good terms. Yeah. The forgiveness plea of, I forgive you for killing Uncle Ben. And, you know, forgiveness is what can, you know, mend this. And he just kind of flitters off into the sky. Mm-hmm. So as far as we know, they're still on good terms. So yeah. he's there to help him. And he creates like a sandstorm uh, with, with the power lines. Looks awesome. 
and he's able to get, you know, Electro back to the tank, back to a different type of dunk tank. Mm-hmm. And then Flint Marco, who's like, what are you doing to me? Like, you know, like don't do that to me. And he's causing issues again already. But now we have our five guys here all hold up in uh, Strange's Sanctum Santorum. And the plan is, you know, Strange has his box and he's like, look, I, I created this rift. I'm going to undo it and I'm going to send them all back. And we kind of learned that their fate with Spider-Man was all kind of met the similar way. They all died fighting him in one way or the other that if they're going to go back, they're going to go back dead. Uh, and the pasting, the pacing, not pasting, the pacing is masterful here. Mm-hmm. You've already had the big battle on the bridge with Doc. Yeah. And then we have the big battle in whatever field that is with Sandman and um, Electro. Yeah. And in between, we've discovered this holding place where we're going to keep these characters and we've set up uh, the time rift or multiple dimensions, I mean. And I think we've put a lot of movie into maybe what's an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it here's the key. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it. Oh, yeah. Every minute felt like the minute or 10 minutes in Eternals. <laughs> and and several of the other Marvel properties that we've discussed in the last few weeks. Especially yes? the Eternals. That movie's so egregiously long, but you feel it because nothing's happening. You Man, if you can develop character through, as you would say, fisticuffs, mm-hmm. action sequences... Mm-hmm. And you can do it. It has to do with environment, and it has to do with the way they're fighting, what they're fighting for, and what they say is they're fighting. Mm -hmm. You can do it, and they've done it. Now, what do you think about Peter's plea here, which is he has an uneasiness to just send them off to their unknown realities to meet a terrible fate. Ah, yeah. And he was like, well, you know what? I could probably, you know, fix them, fix their abnormalities, which is, you know, when you read a Spider-Man comic, it really boils down to that. It was like, I'm going to fix the lizard's lizardness. Yeah, right. Or I'm going to fix this person. That way they're not as evil. Uh, but Strange is like, you can't do that, Peter. You're like, you know, we already messed around with this before. You can't do that. But again, the tragedies that I spoke about prior, the hubris of the prior Spider-Mans and when it got the best of them, it's going to happen right here with this Peter. The idea that I can fix these guys and fix it so when they go back, they can go have normal lives. I really like that moment later, too, when Octavius looks at Osborne. He's like, how does it feel, Norman? Like, you're pretty close to, like, getting rid of that part of your life, the Jekyll part. And you can, you know, be as you, this brilliant scientist. And, you know, like, that's that's, that's interesting that to think of the possible futures those guys can all have. All these kind of great scientists and, you know, smart people you know, if, if Peter's able to help them out with his per- current, present, mostly stark technology, I, I'm intrigued by that. But Strange is like, oh, hell no. And we get into a cool bit. This is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Strange takes Peter to the mirror dimension, mm-hmm. and they get in a, on a fight through the streets of New York as it's inceptioning itself, which way and, le- and then on a train. Yeah. And really cool. This was kind of, it's alluded to in the trailers quite a bit. It just It's all kind of, uh, you're shown shots of it. But in reality, when you see this, this was this is the, some of the coolest strange action that I've seen with that character so far. Yeah. And then Peter's like, you know what? Magic's pretty cool, but I know what you're doing. You're doing these Pythagorean theorems, whatever the hell. Right. Says. And Peter's able to figure it out, like all these shapes that he literally traps strange in his own mystical contraption. Yep. Because Peter mathematically is probably a little bit smarter than strange. Sure. Scientifically, yeah. Yeah. And so then he just leaves them there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Strange locked away with all all his you know infinite powers and wisdom, 
Now Peter's able to kind of go about seeing what he can. And I was really shocked by like, these guys are mostly going along with this idea of let's fix me up and let's see what we can make of this. Do you know why you like it? Mm. I'm going to tell you why you like okay. it. Okay. Do I know? <laughs> you like it because we spent so much time behind the keyboard talking about arcs. Yeah. And they all, in a supporting quick way, have an arc. Like let's do Jamie Foxx first, Electro, Max Dillon. When we see him at the beginning of Amazing Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man's birthday. <laughs> yeah, he's forgotten. It's my birthday, yeah. Because he's so ugly mm-hmm. and just doofy looking. Yeah. Well, in this, they harness this very handsome version of Jamie Foxx, mm-hmm. who's now recognized and appreciated as powerful and handsome. And we're returning to the arcs that I would argue have worked in some cases and not in most cases in some of the prior Spider-Men. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Kirk Connors. Yeah trying to make a better version of yourself, which has to do with the loss of an arm. Yeah. And so you say, well, what can regenerate limbs? And it is in fact reptiles. And thus Kurt Connors is born into the lizard. Mm -hmm. We get a discussion with him from behind one of the holding cells about, he just want how he wants to make man better. And this is as they are listening to Peter talk to strange about maybe records saving these people. Let's do auto. Otto's whole entire palm, son in the palm of my hands, was based on... Renewable energy. Yes. Yeah. And also, shockingly, I'm surprised he didn't play with this a little bit more, Mm -hmm. how much his wife, who perishes in that film, looks like Marissa Tomei. Yeah. But he is a good doctor, and he's trying to do good things. Do Flint Marco. He just wants to go see his daughter. Simple. Yeah. He's just like, he's like, he's like, "I, I have a wife there. Uh, I want to get back to that life because I've made peace with that past version of Flint Marco, the destructor of Sandman. And I just want to go be a father. You know what I mean? Like his is so simple. And Norman is this really mentally broken man Mm -hmm. who struggles with the good and bad forces in himself that usually fall to the dark side. That's why we get the dark side. That's why we get your green goblin. All of that's, Front and center in play here. And you know who else is in front and center here? Mm. Captain Regret himself. Yep. Spider-Man. Peter. I need to make up for all of these sins. And no matter how much good I do, I'm never going to be able to quite get there. But I'm going to keep trying. Yeah. And it's going to bite me in the ass over and over and over and over. Yeah. But in a very specific and germane Spider-Man way, he goes about the same task. Jesse, those are arcs. Those are all character arcs. That's beginning, end, and that's internal and external conflict in that beautiful Robert McKee storyline above and below, beautiful story arc to create well-rounded three-dimensional characters. And they happen really quickly, too. You know what I mean? Yes, you can do it quick. It's not like they're taking two hours to set these all up and pay them all off. Like It's all happening here within Happy Hogan's condominium. Uh, It It makes the Mysterio character all the more frustrating. It does, yeah. Because if you think back to why he's pissed, it Stark did him wrong, essentially. That's yeah. a quick version of it, but that's... Yeah, he made, and, he made fun of his tech, yeah. And I get it. Like, if you would... It's kind of a version of Max Dillon to Spider-Man as he, Mysterio, would be to Downey Jr. Yeah. To um, Iron Man. Tony Stark? 20, yeah, thank you. Jesus. <laughs> so, and that, that makes that character, to me, 
even worse. It's not that hard to do. It's not. Yeah. Uh, and some of my favorite moments in this is when we're, he's now trying to find these cures to get the power out of Dylan. I'm going to find a lizard cure. I'm going to fix the inhibitor chip in the back of Ox, uh, spine is them working together. Like, him with Octavius and Norman, these scientific brains collectively working, they're able to like do some great things really quickly. Yeah. Uh, but then it all just goes uh, awry. Like as, 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 as soon as it, as it started when, you know, it kind of starts with Max Dillon when he says, he's like, why take this power away from me? When, if I had this power in this world, I could be unimaginable. Mm -hmm. And then Norman starts thinking it too. And Octavius says, how it feel to get rid of that second part of yourself, Norman? And he's like, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to get rid of that second part of myself. And then Norman just just loses it. You know what I mean? He just goes, he goes full goblin here. Uh, and, you know, they have a goblin cure for him ready to go, but uh, we haven't tested it yet. But he gets, you know, Max Dillon. He gets Flint Marco to just completely run amok. You know, Octavius, you know, gets blasted out of the window by Electro. But this scene, this fight between uh, Norman and Peter, awesome. Like, this is, again, like when I said, like, if if, if Norman Green Goblin wants to go bad, like, th this is a bad dude. Like, mm -hmm. this is someone you don't want to mess with or piss off. Yeah. And we know what he's done in the comic books before with Gwen Stacy and countless characters. He was, the, I think, the first hero to, like, beat Spider-Man. There's a panel I remember where... It's the goblin like laughing like this, being like, I was the first one to do it. And then like all the other villains that he fought prior to that are just like almost like bowing down to Norman's prowess. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you see that here. And this this is a hell this is a hell of a scene. And you know, it's Peter alone trying to wrangle all these villains, trying to get them, and you know, it all just runs it all just runs amok. Uh what would you kind of think of all this? I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh would this be our second act? Uh, midpoint. Midpoint? So, man, is it, maybe this is the second act reversal. Because I think... Because remember, we got to get as low as po we possibly can. So by the midpoint, yeah, maybe we're not quite as low. Um, typically, the midpoint is we're on the quest and things are going pretty well and we're making some progress. And I would say in Happy's condo, yeah. when they're getting cured, we're making progress. That's that moment, yeah. It, this has to be second act reversal per beat wise. Yeah, yeah. Because when Anne May's about to take a goblin glider yeah. and then a bomb to her face, mm -hmm. like her, her, like shrapnel. Mm -hmm. uh, now we're as low as we possibly possibly can be, and and she bites the bullet. That was kind of a strange scene too. She seems like she's okay, and then just suddenly collapses. And then before she goes, though, she's able to tell Peter, "This isn't your fault." She kind of gives her the, the the Uncle Ben spiel of great power and great responsibility, which I thought was really well done, but. Now Peter is just like super alone. He really truly only has Ned and, and MJ at this point. Uh, and here's Jameson just spouting like this is classic Jameson, like mm -hmm. Spider-Man that menace. Like he, he caused all this. This is kind of a sad moment. I was like, as much as they've short shift Marissa Tomei and young Aunt May in the last films, she's been really good in this one. And then if we needed to have a death to be the crux to propel it, into the rest of this movie, it had to be her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's tragic. So, like this, I think this series gets talked uh, about that, that we didn't see the Uncle Ben moment with him and it, it's much the Bruce Wayne conversation. Do we need to see that moment again? Mm -hmm. They kind of circumvent that a little bit and do it with Aunt May. Yeah. It is his fault. It's absolutely his fault. Right. Yeah. He had a chance to stop Norman. He could have sent them all back way back at the Sanctum Santorum. He chose not to. Yep. And now that's another death at, at his hands. Brutal. Brutal for Parker. Brutal. 
Uh, yeah. This is, yeah, that, that was, I was like, I don't know where we're going to go from here, but now he's got a tall order to get these guys back and they're pissed off. Mm-hmm. But let's get to it. This Let's get to the moment. So Ned Leeds and MJ are kind of holding up at his, gram, his grandma's place or his, his mom, I don't know. And, you know, they're trying to find Peter and he's just kind of swinging about the city all angry. And this is pretty cool. You know, Ned, they stole the sling ring from Doctor Strange. So let's talk about Ned Leeds uh, real quickly. You already alluded to this guy goes full bad as the Hobgoblin. Uh, and some lines that we're going to get a little bit later uh, about uh, Peter's other friends that went, both went bad and kind of went that route. You know, Ned, with his ability to y- use the sling, wing, sling ring and use its power, could give him like a mystical kind of goblin element that could be really hard to defeat. Yeah. And being the way this film ends uh, with their relationship, uh, you're setting up a pretty interesting confrontation between best friend and and what could become a mortal enemy. I think you're right. So I'm curious to see where that's where that's going to go. And Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Who is it that builds when they are de-vilifying the villains in Ned's condo? Is Ned the one that's working on the goblin serum, anti-goblin serum? Do you recall? In Ned's condo. No, in, in Happy's condo, sorry. Well, Ned and MJ aren't there. Oh, that's right. Doesn't mean he couldn't find it, though. No, yeah, he could. Because that's essentially what happens with Ned, is mm-hmm. he finds the Goblin Serum and decides to give it a go. And, Absolutely. Why, yeah. why couldn't they figure that out? Like, we've already established that they're getting into MIT, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's an avenue for him to get there. I do, too. Yeah. So I'm curious. I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to that. Well, look, they didn't cast Ned Leeds. It could be Ned Frank, Ned Jones. It could be Stephen Ames, whoever. Like, you choose that name in Spider-Man canon... And for a reason, you know where it's going. Yeah. Now, do we see it or not? I don't know. No. But eventually, we'll see how much if it gets there time wise. Yeah. But he, yeah, he's not going to be good forever. Yeah, exactly. So they have this slinger. So it's like, let's use this power. Let's see what we can find. Because he says it on accident, and like a little portal opens up. We're like, let's find the other. Let's find Peter Parker. Like, let's find where he's at. So he goes, let's find Peter Parker, and he opens up this portal in his grandmother's like little living room. Yeah. And you see a Spider-Man way off in the distance, and then he like runs through the portal, comes in, and they're like, oh, "That's not our Peter. This is a different suit. This is a different thing. Kind of tall. Kind of tall, and he sounds different." And then when he takes his mask off, Matt, I just got to just share just a little, a little with you. You know, you know, for all what the pandemic's really done, and you know, the film slate's been such a mess, and I think we're very much components of we need to see movies in theaters because mm-hmm. of just audience participation or just to get a vibe or just to see things on a large format, like as the biggest format imaginable. I need it as loud as possible. I live for moments like this to see movies with the crowd, to see how they respond. And I got to tell you, this is going to go down as one of the best audience moments in my life, which is the next three minutes. Yeah. When Andrew Garfield takes off that mask, everyone lost their shit. Yep. They went nuts. Ours too. They lost it, and it was cool. And then it was, and then they're, they're like, "Okay, so now we got to kind of figure out." Did you clap uh, too? Yeah, I kind of like. I I'm a very passive watcher, so I like kind of applauded on my legs like this because yeah, like yeah. I can't like go fully there because I'm more of an observer. Yeah. Uh, Tried to remain unbiased for the show. Exactly. Legitimacy. <laughs> Noble. 
But they, they went crazy. And then so they're like, let's see if you're the real Spider-Man. He gets up on the wall and is crawling around. Can you clean those cobwebs up? And we're like, okay, like, okay, this isn't the Peter we want, but this is something. And let's find the other Peter Parker. It's so like, find Peter Parker. And then another portal opens up at, behind him. And in comes Tobey Maguire. They lost their minds again. Like this was just like three and a half minutes of what could bottle down to fan service, which was kind of what ruined Ghostbusters a little bit for me. Mm. Afterlife mm. here, the way it's integrated into the story is really well done. And this is a, a fan moment that is, isn't possible unless this is Sony still owns the rights to Spider-Man. Yeah. If this is a fully Disney Marvel thing, this, there's no way this happens. Mm. They lost their minds, man. Like, this is just, like, generations of spider lovers, of fans of superhero films that grew up. I was 11 or 12 when those first Maguire ones came out. I was in my... What year is that? 02. 02, yeah. So I, I'm going to tell you. I'll share with you. Yeah. I didn't love the Garfield Spider-Man, but it was still cool, and I was like, that's awesome. But when, when Tobey Maguire showed up... Yeah. Man, I, I, I got a little bit choked up for a minute, and I was one of those standing and clapping, you not got standing. Some, you, got some, I, you got some chills? I absolutely was clapping. That that was, yeah, there's so many things about that, seeing him again. Mm-hmm. And to see them together, like, you know what I mean? Like, there was a lot that kind of went into the end game time highs to revisit moments of the past that people remember. And here they're going to kind of do that, but it's for the service of the story. And yeah. Where this is going uh, is, I think, a lot of great moments. And I think maybe my favorite scene of the film here, which is the top of uh, Midtown High, which is where Peter goes to shut out all the noise. They go to him and, you know, Ned and uh, shit, MJ Mm -hmm. are. uh, It's interesting that her name's Michelle Jones, not Mary Jane. Yeah. But it's MJ still the same moniker. So they're even doing something a little bit different with her as well. Uh, and then up there on, on the precipice are these other Spider-Men and Peter kind of sees them as a threat at first, but then they come down and what great mentors they can now be for him to a help him through the trauma of what he's just gone through. And like, I like when Andrew Garfield says, like, he's like, I've been there before. I, I know what you're feeling. He's like, don't you dare tell me what I'm feeling. You don't know. But what that Peter Tom Holland doesn't know is these guys have been through some shit. Worse, worse, which you've ever even thought. Yeah. Well, I guess he's been blipped and brought back. So, <laughs> but it was a minute for him. That's true. It was twenty seconds. Yeah. Uh, these guys have been through it through their own fallacy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like their own failures. Yeah. And what really brings it home for him is when he says, "The last thing Aunt May told me was with great power comes." And then McGuire finishes with great. And he's like, "How do you know that?" And it's like, "Because that's what Uncle Ben told me right before the last time I saw him." You know what I mean? Like. Being able to bring in the history of past films and bring it into this universe as mentorship, mm-hmm. as uh, therapy, brotherhood. as brotherhood, uh, is so powerful. It's 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 well done. Like, and it's what should, are you talking about? Are you talking about a superhero film here or some drama? Yeah, exactly. Right. It could be talking about both. Yes. Uh, this could come off, I think, really poor and really not handled very very well, but. I think they knocked us out of the park. And this was the thing that I think fans were most anxious to see if it was true or not. And these two actors are not in any of the promotional material. They're not on the interview circuit, uh, but there's been rumors and leaked photos and stuff. So it was hard to know whether it was true or not until you went to go see the film. So to Sony's credit for keeping this as tight lipped as they possibly could, 
to have that moment, the surprise, and then now the the story beats, I think is a job well done. I mm-hmm. mean, this is cool. And then what I, w- so here was my theory. I was like, my theory the whole time was that you can't have these villains come back and then not have these other Spider-Man come back as well. Um, so if they do come back, what I am looking forward to is how are they going to work together? How are they going to interact amongst themselves? What history are they going to share? And this is probably my favorite part of the movie, them working on the cures in the laboratory. You get to see the science prowess of all the different Spider-Man McGuire's telling Garfield, he's like, you got a lady? He's like, oh, no, not for some time. Like, He's like, and then we kind of get to know about him and Mary Jane, like how that's been working on the side. Uh, we get to kind of, you know, see a little bit about the relationships with the villains that they had. Oh, I fought an alien that like took over your suit. Yeah, I fought an alien. He was purple and he snapped away half the galaxy. And Andrew Garfield's like, I want to fight an alien. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're good together. You know what I mean? Each one of them talks about something that is their setup and their arc as well. Mm-hmm. Garfield and Gwen Stacy. Yeah. And man, that's a big moment because mm-hmm. we both kind of like, God damn you, Mark Webb. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't you get 500 Days of Summer tone in this moment? Sure. And then Toby Maguire with wanting to beat the hell out of the guy that killed his uncle. Mm-hmm. And all of that is done as we're watching them construct the ar- ar- was ar- artillery, I guess, mm-hmm. to take down these villains. Yeah, man, it's just so well done through dialogue and action. I mean, you know, we talked about Ghostbusters mm-hmm. as the original, as like perfect screenplay per beats. Yeah. Maybe the second act reversal is a little too quick in terms of time following the midpoint. But as far as character development, Ghostbusters has nothing on this film because we're taking, look, here's the thing. I thought about this this morning in the shower. Okay. I think one of the things that I was scared of with the rumors in this, but I believe that they were coming back. I just didn't know Mm -hmm. how we were going to see them. Yeah. And then when they said that, Alfred Molina was coming back. I'm like, okay, everything's on the table. It has to. Yeah, right. One of the things I was really worried about is how long we were going to mess around with them having this inane conversation that we already know the answer to Mm -hmm. that pertains to who are you? How did you get here? Blah, 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 blah. Time rift, alternate dimensions, blah, blah. Like, I just don't care. Mm -hmm. And I associate that moment in multiple characters weaving in from multiple dimensions with the same moment in horror Mm. where our protagonist or group of protagonists go to the police to tell them, Hey, this terrible thing is happening, which serves two purposes. One to bring some completely inept cop in so that there's one more piece of fodder and two to further make us see that they are really in this without any help coming. Mm -hmm. I hate both of those moments and I was really worried that that was going to be a deal breaker for me in this film. And the truth is I was hoping, can it just be five minutes and get on and then move on? And it ends up doing the opposite. It ends up being probably 40 minutes Mm -hmm. handled masterfully well. And it's almost when they're kind of wrapping up, you're like, I kind of want a little bit more. Yeah. And I, I mean, that was two strikes. I mean, this film was down 0-2 to me and that part they before do, I even stepped into the batter's box. They do it so well by saying they came in the rift, same rift as these other guys. They've been looking for that Peter. And I don't know if it was the sentimentality or the nostalgia or the ability 
to make those characters instantly likable and not just grind and grind and grind. Well, what's a time stone and what's a rift? And but like, we, we already know that. Sure. You have, and I, I guess what I'm saying here is the two screenwriters, McKenna and <sighs> I'll look it up. I'll look yeah. it up. I got it right here. The two screenwriters uh, were great. Go ahead. Chris McKenna and Eric Summers. There you go. Yeah. We're gracious enough to recognize that the audience gets the multiple dimension thing now. Sure. And we don't have to bog you down with relearning something that you've already learned. Can I tell you why I really like it too? And I, I agree with everything that you're saying that this could have been, this could have been a mess, like mm-hmm. a huge colossal mess where we're kind of more in an end game conversation of just stupidity in the second act of this film. Yeah. Uh, I really like this as almost a very cathartic kind of, uh, tying up of the bow for the other two Spider-Man because Spider-Man three and the amazing Spider-Man two aren't great and kind of leaves those characters on a sour note being that like this kind of helps tie up all of that as well for them as, as as well without doing a whole nother movie with them and who knows what they're going to do. This movie is going to bring in the dough, man. This movie is going to bring in some cash. Rake it in. Yeah. Uh, so we, I don't know what the future of the Spider-Man looks like, but this kind of like helps, you know, seal those wounds of all those terrible movies as well. Like it's good to see them again in uh, a better state working together as a team in something that I never thought we would ever see. Like we were talking about, right? Like really pretty scars Let instead me, of ugly band-aids sure, on these wounds. Sure. Let me ask you this question. Then we'll get to the final uh, battle sequence here. Yeah. You think into the Spider-Verse helped pave the way for this a little bit? I do. And you know what else is going to help pave the way for this also Mm. is what if, Mm. and we'll get to that in just a minute, but somehow (laughs) I didn't think about Spider-Verse shameful until you just mentioned that you're absolutely right. They've managed to sort of weave in the animated piece of Marvel as well. Sure. You and I have had lots and lots of criticisms Mm -hmm. about this pedantic pace or this pedestrian pace that we're going in, who's going to be the next big bad? And are we going to move it to something interdimensional or planetary or street level? As far as we know, we still don't know. (laughs) And it's brought everything in there from flag smashers to Baron Zemo to whatever this thing is. And, um, uh, Hawkeye (laughs) number five that I have yet to see to the Eternals and the quest to, um, you know, the search for Gamora, like all of these questions that some have been maybe teased, but nothing's really been answered. And there isn't really other than Zemo. Sure. We don't really have. We don't know the like the direction. I mean, we have the Julia Louise Dreyfus character and Sharon Carter, but I'm, it's Zemo, I guess at this point. Yeah. Um, And mostly that's been in my opinion, because the cinematic entries in the Marvel universe have been pretty bad mm. since Endgame. Oh, I mean, there's been a couple that are tolerable. What's been tolerable? I don't know. Our ratings on everything post-Endgame hasn't been great. Didn't like Shang-Chi. Didn't like The Eternals. Black Widow and Cloud City, the Bespin finale. That that might be <laughs> the best of them, but that's a prequel to Endgame. And we just said we didn't like Far From Home. So, so. yeah, I'm right. Um, so, somehow, and I don't know if it was Feige getting the hell out of the way, or these screenwriters presenting such a nice script that it was so bulletproof that even administrative decision behind the keyboard sure. couldn't screw it up. It's found its footing a little bit. Yeah. And you know what? To that. Yeah. It's found its footing a little bit to 
with Spider-Man. Exactly. Which is, I know people will say, no, it was Blade, but it wasn't. Yeah. It was Blade, I know. It was Blade brought him back from bankruptcy. But Spider-Man... But blew, Spider-Man is what started blew it. Blew the doors off this right? thing that this could be a Marvel-generating money machine that's still churning along. And, yeah, let's get to this... Fina- Wait, well, I have one more quick... Okay, okay. Uh, good. I want, I've been wanting to ask you this. Yes. You know, you're usually the date guy in what's coming. Okay. We haven't seen any releases, and I looked throughout the year... For any new X-Men stuff, though. Not yet. Not yet. Because that was the other one. So Spider-Man and then X, or whether it was X-Men and Spider-Man, I forget how they came. Yeah. But, and if they could get their their fingers around that, get their minds around that, and get a good grip on whatever state of that is now. Mm -hmm. Man, we could have something. That could be cool. Yeah. I mean, I guess we got a tease of that in WandaVision, you know, with Evan Peters' Quicksilver. That kind of didn't go anywhere. But don't you do you agree with me that in in Marveldom, yeah, the two queens on the chessboard are the Spider Man world and the X Men world. Oh, absolutely, Th- those are their that that's it, right? That's their goal. And especially, am I forgetting anything? No, you're not because spe- it's not the Avengers. No, 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 no. I, they've made the movies very relevant and enjoyable. Yeah, but like in comic book, no one's reading those books, right? It's the X Men and it's Spider Man. Yeah. So d- to me, if Stark, Steve Rogers, and uh, Thor, probably after this next one, we're going to be off the the board. Can't use those pieces anymore. You got to use your Spider-Man pieces and you got to use your X-Men pieces. And over there in the corner waiting to jump into the thing is the Fantastic Four. Right. Like if you get those elements working, like we could have a cool slate of next Marvel films that will feel fresh, different than what's come before. And you know the truth on that? Yeah. If you compare either of those, any of those three franchises and favorability, man, a little tongue tied here, favorability Mm. per reader to where the Avengers started. Yeah. They have the Avengers beat six ways oh, from Sunday. Time, I and mean, yeah. they beat the brakes off the Avengers. Yeah. The Avengers are unreadably bad. Mm-hmm. Thor sucks by himself. Iron Man sucks oh. a little bit less. The Hulk is, well, the Hulk's been better lately. I haven't read it in, in some years, but when they stopped, the Hulk was better. And actually, I did read lately. The Hulk actually, Immortal Hulk is a really good series mm-hmm. that I was reading some. And then you had Daredevil to it as well. Sure. Man, maybe we don't need to worry about who's going to be left. Maybe we don't need any of them left. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. I think we're, we're we're probably in good hands here. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the Statue of Liberty. What are they doing oh, here? One more thing. No, I'm just kidding. Go I'm, just, I'm totally playing. No, go, yeah, go finally. Go, sorry. What is going on here? Is this the, now the, the statue of Steve Rogers? Yeah. <laughs> what are they? This, I don't know. They're building him a statue now for the time, the time heist that is still just, this is somehow still all his fault. Yeah. I stand by those words, but a cool place for a battle. I mean, remember what I told you in Shang-Chi about scaffolding and battles on scaffolding and construction? I love it. It's just something I've always gravitate towards. Yeah. But this is where Peter says, if you want us, come and get us. We'll be over here and let's see if you show up. So here we get the three Spider-Men talking about what life's like on their worlds. And the one joke that I think is really cool is, and this is a James Cameron invention is the organic web shooters that Maguire has, but yeah. the other two have to make their own web cartridges. So they're really curious about like, how does that come out of you? Does it purpose? Have you ever had a web block? He's like, actually I did. And I wasn't able to be Spider-Man, but it was more of an existential thing. Like they have some great banter about all this and his back. Remember his injured back in Spider-Man too? Like they bring that uh, back into the fold. This is all really cool. And so they fight these guys. They show up a uh, lizard, electro and uh, Sandman. And they kind of get their butts kicked a little bit. They're all swinging and flying all over the place. No one's communicating with another one. So then they kind of get a reprieve. 
there in the middle. And it was like, okay, we need to work as a team. What's that? It's like, I was on the Avengers. We used to work as a team. We don't know what that is, but tell us what you want us to do. Now we can work together as a, as a little unit. And Matt, moment number two, when those guys jumped off the scaffolding or swinging together at the ring, they lost it again. Like it was like seeing the, the three Spider-Men of your youth, no matter how old you are, um, together yeah. for the first time. Like so cool. Yeah. Uh, and now it's time to fight these guys uh, together as a collective. And they do a good job. They do a pretty good job at it. Um, it's exciting, you know, the way they dispatch with Electro, some help from Octavius, uh, with Flint Marco, and then the Lizard. And it's some nice callbacks to some moments that we had in the prior films mm-hmm. without being too distracting with it. I never felt distracted or I was like, oh, they're trying to do that again or they're trying to do this again. It all felt very organic within the setting that they're establishing themselves. Well, they had that line, right? Mm-hmm. Guys, we're getting our asses handed to us because we're not we're not working together as a team. And then the three of them come together, and I forget exactly how Tom Holland says it, but it's something like is use the tingle and let's take them out one at a time. And they devise a quick plan to just instead of let's fight all of them individually all at the same time, let's just pick them off one by one by one. Yeah. And the perfect place to start is with Sandman because he's nice and easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you get the building of a team quickly, efficiently, and again, we're talking about more arcs. Mm-hmm. If we're going to do this alone, it's not going to work. If we do it together, it will. That's also the curse of Peter Parker as Spider-Man, sure. which is why he has to wear his mask, mm-hmm. protect his identity, and why he has so many sat. Like It's all arcs, Jesse. Mm-hmm. And in these fight sequences, we're going to get two other culminating moments to big arcs, aren't we? Do you want to do, I'll give you one and I'll take the other one. Do okay. you want to do Garfield's or do you want to do Maguire's? Uh, I'll do Maguire's. All right. So for everybody out there, in Spider-Man's canon, and personally for me, one of the saddest things that's ever happened and that I've ever read is the death of Gwen Stacy. For those of you that don't know it, and I, I can't imagine we haven't spoken about it on the show before. I know we we have, but I'll just go quickly. Yeah, we did that movie. It was, That's right. Yeah. It was a disaster. Goblin throws <laughs> Stacy off the Empire State Building or some skyscraper. Spider-Man catches her. The force of her fall is too great. It causes a whiplash-like effect with the elasticity of his webbing. And essentially, she breaks her neck as he catches her. And then he has to haul her dead carcass up the side of the building Now, Jerry Ordway, who wrote that, Mm -hmm. said, well, she was already dead on the rooftop before, and then came out later and said, actually, she wasn't. No way. Regardless, there's there's four important letters, the four most important letters in more. Can I say Snap. (laughs) Isn't it weird that it's Snap? It's her neck and it's Thanos, right? So if you look at that panel right where her neck is contorted backwards. Like if you put, tried to put your neck back by your shoulder blades, like looking forward, lean it back, but hard yeah. snap, right? Yep. Four little letters are snap. Mm-hmm. That's not there because yeah. she was already dead. Yeah. That's sad. Mm-hmm. And is everything right and wrong with Spider-Man? And he's got the weight of that, that he has to burden too. And Gwen was so lovely, Jesse. Yeah. Okay, so whatever happened in Amazing Spider-Man 2, they handled that... (laughs) Whatever happened in Amazing... (laughs) They handled that the way that they chose to handle that. And I think you and I were... Hang on a second. That movie's 
terrible. It's a disaster. There's so many. Go listen to that episode. It's 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 a fucking mess. Yeah. That moment in the movie is yeah. pretty good. Oh, fair. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you and I were both hopeful when Webb got it. Oh, we because we're like, oh my god, this is the Gwen Stacy yeah. Peter Parker romance that I've loved, and we yeah. And we thought about, well, this could be mm-hmm. Zoe Deschanel and and um, 500 Days of Summer and like Jago. <laughs> anyway, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't. However, Garfield mentions earlier, and you set it up when he said, I know what you're going through. No, you don't. Yeah. The fuck he doesn't. Yeah. It's worse, dude. Yeah. Like you haven't even really lost anybody just yet. Mm-hmm. Well, May, maybe. Yeah, May is, no, May's not even gone by that point, is she? No, yeah, she is. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Okay. If we're going to do these arcs and play out the arcs that were never finished and give these characters the send-off that they deserve and the fanboy reappearance in something more than cameo but less than starring and somewhere around supporting, yeah, you've got to find a way to tie all that up. And when MJ falls and Andrew Garfield gets to save her from the side of the building. Because Tom Holland just got taken away by Norman Goblin. Goblin, yeah. Which, of course, it has to be the Goblin. You get the moment where he's able to quell some of those storms, exercise some of those demons, and find a peace in what he couldn't do for himself, but he could do for someone else. Look, dude. When he lands, he's, like, about to break down in tears. That's everything, though, right? It's what you've given up for others yeah. in Spider-Man and mm-hmm. it's come at an immense cost. Yeah. And you get, if that's his big moment and it is, he's going to like, he have a little bit more villainy stuff, but that's his big moment. Well, that his thing too, is he sure as shit ain't going to let that happen a second time. Damn right. Yeah. And we finish the nice circle yeah. of letting that character. Now, when he goes off back to whatever multiple dimension he's from, we gave that character the goodbye that yeah. Spider-Man two mm-hmm. did not. Yeah. I don't say other than yeah, that's it's beautiful. That's that's really well done. You take Toby. Uh, okay, so when McGuire comes and tells him, you don't want to go down this path because I thought about doing that too. And when I went after my uncle's killer, I wanted nothing to beat him to a pulp. And he kind of does in that scene until he falls on his own out the window. And we kind of see that again too with the black suit. I mean, we see his Spider-Man really get angry and really you know, get a little more violent than we're used to Spider-Man being really trying to take the vengeance, vengeance aspect. When you find out that Flint is uncle Ben's killer, he's just like, I'm pissed now. Mm-hmm. And he says, you can't go that way. You, if you do, it's just going to end bad for you. So when this all kind of culminates and, you know, uh, Tom Holland, Spider-Man is beating Willem Dafoe to like a pulp man. He's just like wailing on him and he picks up the goblin glider and he's going to kill this guy. So what is McGuire's like? Is like, I can't let it because he'll regret this the rest of his life if he goes through with this moment. He goes and stops it. Yeah. And he's like, it's like if you're going to stab anyone, you're going to have to stab stab me, and you're, you don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he gets him to put it down. Like, again, the power to, like, the history, the, the what's the word I'm trying to say here, the, the wise sageness of that Spider-Man that's yeah. been Spider-Man in, the his, longest. in his universe for 20 years now, yeah. allegedly. yeah. Knows a thing or two. Damn right. So he he knows that if this young guy, like, this will be a bad path that he's going to go down. I got to stop it. And he does. And then he takes, you know, a goblin blade to the back there. Uh, but, you know, he at least stopped him from committing that horrible deed. You know what I mean? Like, from going down that path. Because that's, that's irredeemable. At least for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. 
Batman has the same type of code, but man, Michael Keaton laid out 20 Joker goons in the parade floor, you know what I mean? So like that doesn't matter. But here, Tom Holland, as angry as he is and as guilty as he feels, if he goes down that route, there's he's turning into a villain at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh good moment. Really good moment. Well done. Uh yeah. We get some nice, cool banter between uh, Max Dillon and Andrew Garfield, and they get to kind of talk about... Well, like, can, I, can I... I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, yeah, One more ahead. thing about that. Yeah. It plays on in Spider-Man liter- literature. Yeah. The black-suited Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And it plays also on the shitty black-suited Spider-Man in Spider-Man 3. Mm-hmm. And that's all supposed to be about, like, revenge. Yeah. Right, Superman three <laughs> goes south, and he's breaking the bottles of liquor with the pistachios. Hey, I like that part. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. His shirt's all like his uniform's all dirty. And Bizarro like, Superman, yeah, yeah, kind of. You're right. Mm-hmm. It fixes that too. Yep. It takes that major, and I'm not going to blame Raimi because he didn't at that point. I don't even know what part of that movie he was making anymore. I would love to do that movie because I have a crazy just like theory. I think Raimi like self sabotaged his own movie because they told him to put the black stuff in it. I think he did it on purpose. Anyway. <laughs> but it finishes up like you cannot be vengeful yep. either. Yeah. Because it's going to tear you apart. Yep. I know mm-hmm. it happened. Good. I love it. Jesse, think about that. Yeah. We've handled through Mary Jim um, through Gwen Stacy's death mm-hmm. and the black suited Spider-Man big moments in Spider-Man's story. In history, literature and film. Maybe the two biggest. Yeah. Harry Osborne's death is up there too. But those are big ones. We've fixed two of the major problems that ended both of those franchises. Sure, absolutely. Is it just is it is it that we're hoping and digging and trying to decode too much that we're pulling this out, or do you think the writers knew what they were doing, or did they just get lucky? Which of those three is it, or some no, combination of all of it? It might be a combination of all of it, but if you're going to take the time to bring back all these villains, bring back these Spider-Men, uh, I think the writers know the history of how those franchise those were franchise killers, you know what I mean? Yeah. They stopped dead in their tracks, yeah. and then we rebooted it again. So you had to kind of address that, that history, and if they're going to come and be just not a throwaway cameo, which is kind of what Ghostbusters Afterlife is yeah. compared to this... Um, they weave them into the story, weave, uh, and you know, what a tangled web and give them an arc. They give them those redemption moments that yeah. were kind of left dangling out in the ethers for those two characters. I think that's, that's my biggest takeaway with this film is that's so well done. Can we just do that? Yeah. Yeah. Now let's get, so strange comes back in the middle of all this and he's like, what have you guys done? This is a complete mess, but like, I need to fix this. So the world is like rifting. It looks very, well, Loki's a terrible show, but like, do you remember the scene when everything's branching out? Yeah. It's kind of what I imagine what's happening here in New York. Yeah. And all these things are coming. Did you catch a rhino? Did you catch a rhino in there? I couldn't, was there one there? I couldn't I thought see, I saw a could. rhino with like a, 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 uh, a horn cool. about to come through. So who knows what the heck that is. Paul Giamatti gets his return. Oh, Jesus. No, please no. Yeah. Uh, but he's like, okay, strange. He's like, do the same thing, seal it up, send these guys back, but uh, make just go go back to like no one knows who I am at all. And he's like, okay, like that, like I'm not gonna do that, but he's like you have to do it. Strange, like this is such a mess at this point. He's like, he's like, I won't even know you at this point. No one is gonna know you, uh, but you'll have some time. So go say your goodbyes. 
oh man, man, this was kind of this was pretty rough. Like he mm-hmm. goes and says goodbye to the two Spider Man, thanks them for all the help that they that they offered and whatnot before they go back to their worlds. But it's the saying goodbye of Ned and Mary Jane telling them, look, when you guys wake up or whatever this looks like, you're not going to remember me at all. Not just that I'm Spider-Man, but you're not going to know Peter Parker ever existed, our history together, our adventures. And all the sad goodbyes they have to say, oh, geez, like this was this was rough. And this was this was me seeing Tom Holland really come into his version of the character into the version I want him to be. Yeah, good. You're right. Uh, and so, like, the final moments with him and MJ and as he swings away, uh, it's just unknown. Now we have a Spider-Man that I've never seen before. Yeah. Truly, truly alone. Mm-hmm. Nobody. He's, Stark's dead. Strange doesn't know who he, None of the Avengers are going to know who Peter Parker is. They know who Spider-Man is, but no one knows Parker. Uh, MJ and Ned know. Aunt May's gone. He goes to Happy or May's grave and runs into Ho- Happy Hogan again. Doesn't know who Doesn't he is. Brutal. Brutal. Brutal ending. Oh, man. Talk about it. What, what, do, what do you think of all that? Again, the finish of the sacrifice and what you're going to have to give up, which is lose everything in order to make it right for the better betterment, better benefit of mankind. Sure. Once again. So that's when I said that's when it's paid off. Yeah. For him now. So not only... They're not dead now, mm. but it might be worse. And that... They don't even know you yet. You have this love for them, whether it's brotherhood or friendship or girlfriend or admiration or teamwork or whatever it might be. You still have that, Mm -hmm. but none of them remember it. Yeah. So if this is all about the Spider-Man arc of what you have to give up with great power comes great responsibility and what that actually means, Mm -hmm. the immense burden of tragedy that goes along with it. Yeah. Yep. I love that scene when he opens up that apartment and it's just this empty, empty shantate with this old decrepit bed and there's just nothing there. And the first thing he does is put down that Lego of the Emperor Palpatine that yeah. he got from Ned. We should have had one more cameo from the Raimi verse, which was the guy going rent. Uh, <laughs> I actually thought that might have been his voice, but yeah, yeah. Oh, it would have been awesome. It would have been nice to see him peek his head around. And the rents do it the first of every month. <laughs> his daughter shows up and brings him some donuts. <laughs> yeah. you're right. Stark, alone, cold, sterile. It's everything. This is a Peter that... We've never, especially this one. I've been hard on him being that like, oh, you got this Stark suit. It can do everything and everything. You got the Iron Spider suit. It can send you to space. It can do everything and everything. You had you 3D printed a, an amazing suit in the last movie. Here he's got nothing. And then so the final shots of this film are him stitching up a traditional blue and red yeah, suit. Yep. And, and on the police band, there's a crime and I'm going to go do my duty. And we don't know what's going to happen next for this character. I love this ending. This might be my favorite ending of any Spider-Man movie. Wow. It's a good one. It's it's it got back to the basics of why I like the character. I mean, which is nothing goes right for him. He's always a day late and a dollar short. He's always fighting the elements. He's fighting fate. He's fighting this. And then when he does get those little wins, that makes it that much better. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they will happen, but we gotta drop him down a few pegs. And now we got this Spider-Man back to basics. To the bare bones. Sign me up. I'm ready to see what's coming next because Spider-Man in college, we've established a multiverse of things. Your friend might be a goblin sorcerer. Like, the, what, what? where are we going with, with this? But the film ends. Did you get an inkling or were you thinking when Ned showed up at the donut shop to see MJ that they were together? 
I didn't think, no, no, no. I didn't think they were together. I, it still felt friendly. And I thought, oh my God, if he shows up and they like embrace and kiss, we have the perfect setup for why Ned would want to become the Hobgoblin. Yeah. That might happen later, but to me, it still felt friendly. That scene was kind of heartbreaking too, which was Peter trying to like, let's see how hard this is going to be. It's going to be damn hard, dude. Like yep. he did okay. Like it, it looked like Mary Jane was kind of interested in how weird this guy was acting, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's got to like start all over again. You know what I mean? Yeah. With everything, yeah. all the history. It's not like you can like come in and be like, Hey Ned, you and I are pretty good. I'm Spider-Man. You helped me break into a suit. A couple movies back, MJ, like I confess my love to you. Like, like you can't just like roll in on someone like that. They'll think you're a psycho. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but the movie ends, we cut to black, we get our end credits, and then we have two end credit sequences. The first one kind of uh, piggyback, I guess, on the Venom end credit sequence, which I haven't seen yet, but I've seen that scene, which was Eddie Brock in some Mexican hotel who sees Spider-Man on screen, and then he gets kind of like, uh, he doesn't get blipped away, but like we kind of like... Disappears. <clears throat> he disappears, yeah. I-, I don't know. I did see that film. I don't know. Well, it could be this moment is what makes him disappear, right? Strange's little spell. But Yeah, it could be, but he's part of Spider-Man's universe. Yeah. So he wouldn't disappear to go to somewhere else. Yeah, I don't know. I don't either. It didn't I, I thought about like reading into it. I'm sure there's some explanations out there, but But what do we think about how it is in this one which was him kind of, you know, talking to his Venom self and whatnot in this bar? More importantly, yeah. we've tied the two really now together, and there's a bit of Venom symbiote yeah, left on the bar. That's would, it. That has to be where we're going, right? Sure. Yeah. I don't know who it's going to be next and what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. It's going to be something, though. Mm-hmm. That's just the, the little goo on the table is enough to be like, we got to get these two together, right? Yeah, because Brock is still Venom. Yeah. That's just a little piece of him left behind that the same way... Cletus became Carnage. This is going to become Scream, Anti-Venom. There's a couple other, there's lots of symbiotes out there that they could do. But I think now that Sony's done such a good job establishing Tom Hardy Venom and now this Spider-Man, we got, it's natural that they're going to get together, right? I agree. Yeah. I, maybe I will do some research on why he blinked out, but yes, obviously it's moving to them. He doesn't even say, I'm going to go meet him. I need to go meet this guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there it is. Yeah. And then the final end credit sequence. Well, there goes that deal we made with each I, other. I, huh? I literally thought that in the theater. I was like, should I close my eyes? Damn it. No. At the beginning of the new year, I'm not watching anything. I might not watch any movie trailer all of next year. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm just gonna go in fresh to everything, you know what I mean? And we'll just like we'll just go we'll go with the flow. But the end credit sequence here is essentially a teaser trailer for Strange into the multiverse of madness, mm-hmm. which looks pretty cool. <laughs> What is in it? Shuma Garath, which is that alien thing in the street that he's fighting is in it. And here's the what if that I spoke about earlier. Yeah. The darker version of Strange that there is from the what if that they did on Disney Plus. Yeah. Which is the darker, like vengeful yeah. Stephen Strange. Evil Strange. Directed by Sam Raimi. I mean, that movie could be pretty cool, man. Yep. I'm just saying. And then it's the multiverse of madness. Like I've heard rumors that we might be getting some X-Men in there that we've seen before, maybe some Fox property. You Let's know what, hope. Yeah, you know what I mean? So that might be a way to kind of bring that world to the forefront. But uh, yeah, this is a long movie, so so buckle up. But it you're right, it doesn't feel it. 
Like it, does, you don't feel the two and a half hours of this film compared to Eternals, which I was just like, oh my god, yeah, <laughs> put me out of my misery, people. Not just the title, Eternals. The the weight of how long it felt to watch it, Eternal. What was your favorite tasting note of Spider Man No Way Home? Uh when Tobey Maguire showed up through that portal. Because I, I think we talked about that when we did that first film. Kind of what a monumental event seeing that first movie was for you. The yeah. de- the decades of waiting, the rumors of Spider-Man movies, and then you finally got to see it, and it was actually a really good movie. It's entirely personal. Yeah. Some people are like, there's a lot of good movies in that movie, and that's the one that he chose. It is. It's, a ty- it's an entirely personable moment for me. Well, I'm taking the same one, but oh. the whole, the Garfield, whole Garfield and Maguire, because... Man, like I, you knew it was maybe going to happen, but then the way it does happen, I'm glad they did it together and it didn't take freaking forever to go find those Spider-Men as well. And then just everyone just lost their minds. It was so cool. Like the energy, like that palpable energy that people are vibing with the film you're watching and not groaning at it Mm -hmm. was just like, yeah, like, you know, this is, this is good. Mm -hmm. The the end game had a lot of that, but I was kind of not on board with it. But just cause like, man, this story is fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Here I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. This is good. And this is a good moment. And it cool to see the two of them. And again, a moment that I never thought was very possible. Yeah. And it, it happened. It was pretty cool. I agree. What's the oh my God! moment of Spider-Man no way home at May's death? Uh, I didn't see that coming. Um, I thought Marissa Tomei was going to be long hauler. Yeah, they don't really telegraph that moment at all. And then like when Norman's just going full goblin, you're just like, boy, everyone get out of the way. Did <laughs> she take some shrapnel to her gut and or something? I don't exactly. Well, she takes the goblin glider just full on hits her first. Hits her. Okay. And then the bomb goes off. So yeah, yeah. That, that'll probably do you. Pretty rough. Mine's the the end uh, saying goodbye. You're going to forget me moment. Like it was everything. I was just like, wow, this is pretty tragic. And I was just thinking, man, the work you'll have to do to just kind of undo all of this and get people to remember you is good luck. Like that's going to be tough. Who's the master distiller on Spider-Man? No way home. Tom Holland is terrific in this mm-hmm. film. I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to give it to him too. Uh, credit to the screenwriters, McKenna and... Uh, whatever that other guy yeah and that other guy (laughs) no that's not fair here hang on mckenna and uh eric summers Mm -hmm. for wrangling this idea together and making it work and jive and not feel like a convoluted mess uh it's great to see other spider-man john watts you know john watts he's directed all three of these films but i can't i can't really pick up on his style other than like a CGI thing. You know what I mean? Like, I can't tell you that this is, and this is, he's doing fantastic force. So his ability to like wrangle a large cast is probably going to serve him well on that property. I got a great analogy. I came up with this this morning. You're going to love this stock NFL quarterbacks, Matt. So like in the pantheon of like great NFL quarterbacks, let's say maybe 15 to 20% of them are like truly amazing. Yeah. Tom Brady, Manning, Dan Fouts, Dan Marino, like John Elway. the legends, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's the game managers. There's mm-hmm. the like people that are good, but like, yeah, they're okay. And they can win a playoff game, but they're not going to make the hall of fame. Mark Rippon. Yeah. So to me, like Scorsese, Spielberg, like Fincher, Nolan, mm-hmm. like those, those are the, the greats. You know what I mean? Yes. To me, John Watts is kind of like a game manager yeah. director. And that's, that sounds terrible to say, but 
you kind of almost need that with a film like this mm-hmm. to kind of wrangle all the pieces. And I'll say the same about the Russo bros too. Like, I don't know what their style is. They're not doing like a Wes Anderson color palette. So yeah, no. I can't tell you a Russo film from the next, but their ability to wrangle in all the egos and pieces to make a cohesive story is that can't be understated. So perfectly stated. But I got to get to Holland. I mean, I've been kind of lukewarm on his Spider-Man. He's been good in all of his appearances, but like the character he's playing has just been so not connecting with me until now. Mm-hmm. He's great. It's This is his vehicle. Like he's not overshadowed by anything else taking place. He's He, he kills it. He's really good. Great. Uh, how are you going to rate and grade Spider-Man No Way Home? We have Rocket, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Top Shelf. Second best in all of them. Wow. It's a... Bit of a strange ranking. Like my favorite is Spider-Man Two. Mm-hmm. Um, this is right there with it. Yeah. However, the most important is the first Spider-Man. Oh yeah, you can't argue with that. No, this was a truly excellent film. Yeah, we ending the year on a good movie note. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Yes, this is an was an excellent film. This might be one of Marvel's five best films. In my sure, I, I won't argue with that. I want to go single barrel plus. Yeah. I think this is a fairly, very unique film that, you know, took the powers that be behind the scenes, the studios, actors, contracts, whatever mm-hmm. to really make happen. And to their credit to like really hold in on the secrets to the film came out. That's really hard to do. They did a good job with that with Endgame as well and Infinity War. But yeah, this is, I think it's a really well done. It's probably my second or third favorite Spider-Man film as well. Mm-hmm. I really like Into the Spider-Verse uh, as as a component as well. But mm-hmm. Spider-Man 2 is still, still my favorite. There's just something so intimate and uniquely Spider-Man about that particular film. Yeah, The beats that they really uh, hammer in on that one. But yeah, this is the, the, the winner that Marvel needed to kind of get back on a better track from Endgame and Infinity War because it's been rough. The shows, the movies, like I've been very lukewarm on all of it. But here, if this is the direction we can go with this type of mentality, yeah, I think we're we're back in the driver's seat. So what's next? Doctor Strange, Doctor right? Strange in May, yep. May, nothing till then. So we've got a bit of a break other than, uh, is She-Hulk coming or Hulk coming in? Oh, no, Disney? I think Miss Marvel's coming. Hard pass. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, cheers to you. Cheers, cheers to your ranking. Yeah, cheers, cheers to you. Yeah, a winner in 2021. <laughs> They're hard to, hard to come by. But let's wrap this up with our nightcap. Alrighty, looking ahead at 2022, now that we kind of are probably on a more uh, regimented release schedule, like nothing that's been delayed other than maybe like Top Gun might be an outlier that kind of got bumped from the pandemic year. Uh, We should be pretty well caught up now with all our film releases. So your top three uh, anticipated releases for the year 2022. Let's do three, three, two, two, one, one. You go first. This is usually a disaster. Okay. <laughs> because we pick these films that we look forward to. This is a disaster. And then they all suck. Yeah. <laughs> so I was actually tempted to like maybe I should just pick something that I'm kind of like not luke like lukewarm, but I'm going to go all in. Okay. On these. And I didn't search everything. I did like okay. 45 most anticipated films That's fine, kind yeah. of thing. That's fine, and yeah. All right. Number 3. Okay. Actually is less than a month away. What's today? Today's the 14th. 
15th? 18th. So less than a month away, actually. It's called Deep Water. Mm. You know about this film? Mm. Your girl, Anna de Armas. Mr. Ben Affleck, directed by Adrian Lin. Kind of in the vein of those Adrian Lin thrillery kind of deals. Is this your serenity hopeful for the year? <laughs> yeah, it does feel a little noir It's about this couple that start playing mind games with each other because they hate each other, and then it ends up in death. Okay. Um, I've been down this road before. Sure. This is Gossip Girl. I, this I, is Serenity. I this is you. this yeah. is that. This is that. Yeah, you got to be careful. That's why I only put it at number three. Sure. But in a month, we'll see. Deep Water. Excellent. Uh, with my list, I tried to do, I tried to limit myself to one superhero film, one horror film, and then kind of a wild card pick. My number three, come next September, October, you and I can probably have a really cool conversation and maybe be super pissed off or like in heaven. Joyous, yeah. Salem's Lot coming out. Uh, we're both huge fans of that book. That may be our favorite Stephen King book to begin with. Yes. How are they going to adapt that book? big book into a two and a half hour film. I think it's possible, um, but it's all in the execution. And man, the last time we talked about King was it chapter two, and that was a disaster. So hopefully that really comes through and they hit, they hit it in spades. So mm-hmm. my number three, good choice. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be fun. That's one we'll definitely have. To oh, cover. of course. Yeah. Maybe we could do the David soul one before that. <laughs> yeah, we should. <laughs> we should. Maybe there's gotta be, and there's another version I'm sure we could find. Oh, the Rome with Rob Lowe. Done. <laughs> We just built a cast right now. <laughs> the Salem's Lot cast. Why not? All right. Okay. Uh, number two for me, okay. aforementioned, talked about on this, actually May 6th, Doctor Strange's Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, that's the one you're looking forward I am. to. I really like the first one. They've managed to do really great things with that character. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah. That's yeah. That's number two for me. Then Raimi back in the director's yep. chair. It's kind of horror. I got some <laughs> horror vibes from that little tease we got. I'm at Scarlet Witch. We left her in an interesting place at the end of WandaVision. I'm ready to see kind of how that's going to all shape itself. Yeah. Chiwetel Ejiofor is back as uh, Baron Mordo's. Yeah. Sweet. We'll get to see how that works out. Good choice. Here's number two. My number two, we're going to have to wait all the way till next December. But man, I've been a big fan of this guy's movies. This is film number four for him. Guys, Mr. Damien Chazelle. I've loved Whiplash, La La Land, and First Man. He's got a film coming out next December called Babylon. It's an old Hollywood kind of noir story starring Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. Like, that guy has done no wrong with me so far, so sign me up for his next venture. I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. We know very little about that movie. Um, I think Tobey Maguire is actually in that one as well. It's got a great cast. So, mm. I, I, News to me. Yeah, so I don't even know what it's about it, but it probably a, a greed, a lust-filled, old Hollywood, Clark Gable era of caper, something like that. Before I give you my number one, is there a release date for Gosling's Wolfman yet? No, not yet. So that's that would be in there if it was this year, but I don't think it is. Yeah, I have a few kind of honorable... Hocus Pocus 2? <laughs> Fuck no. It's coming. Uh, I know it's coming. We can't stop it, and no one asked for that movie, so... No. Something I did find, so a, a couple things. I would kind of maybe know what your number one is, actually. Yeah. Uh, I saw something in there. Untitled Bee Gees biopic directed by Kenneth Branagh? I hadn't even heard of this movie. Huh. November, yeah. I saw a Baz Larman Elvis, Elvis biopic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could be something. We'll see about that one. Um, I'm throwing out some honorable mentions. Good. I know it wasn't an amazing film, but the conversation and the thoughts behind it were so much fun. It was Halloween Kills. Yeah. 
Halloween ends next October. That'll be a that'll be a trip. So <laughs> we'll see if it ends or not. Is evil gonna die tonight in that one? Yeah, finally. okay. <laughs> and then uh, was, I think I had one more, uh, but now nah, I forgot it. So I want to know your number one. You know what it is? Yeah, it's John Wick Four. Oh yeah. <laughs> Supposedly four and five are being shot together. Oh, okay, as we speak, uh, Chris Dahelski. Mm-hmm. I'm probably killing that name. Um, well, he's done all the other ones, so yeah. All the key pieces are back in place. Uh, Keanu has obviously had a huge resurgence. Mm-hmm. I've loved all three of those. Uh, that's May 27th. Big yep. summer release. Yeah. I'll be curious to see how they pick up from three because the last time we saw John Wick, he flew off a building and it was like maybe has every bone in his body broken. <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne is going to fix him with the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> Morpheus. Speaking of which, I've been revisiting all of those movies in preparation for this new one coming Yeesh, out. Yeah. Man, that first movie is so good. Yep. A, a spec, high, sci-fi spec idea that yep. kills to only be just be undermined by films two and three by their bullshit. Yep. So one's a masterpiece, two and three, oh, they're so forgettable. And I remember seeing them when they came out. They're just, they get so in the weeds with their own philosophy. So hopefully this new one, I'm curious to see how it even exists because of the fate of the characters. So I'm with you. Excellent. You kind of know my number one as well. It's the Batman in March 4th, I believe. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very curious with the tone, man. Like every time you think, man, can a Batman movie get darker than the last one? It's like this one just like looks like seven is <laughs> a Batman movie. Uh, I think we're both kind of on board with Pattinson as Batman, but man, I really hope that they were, they don't get too crazy with like too much going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Riddler and Penguin and Catwoman, all these things that they're trying to establish. It's just tell a good movie is what really what I need. Mm-hmm. Um, any consideration? There's a Flash movie coming out, and yeah. they're kind of doing a No Way Home thing in there with the past Batman yep. in that as well. Yeah, some of that. I'm actually intrigued on Aquaman. Mm. Um, you know, I want to get into Death on the Nile. Mm. I just don't know if a Kenneth Branagh vehicle that stars him as Hercule Poirot is going to be so overwrought with Branagh, it might drown the film in a film that has the potential to drown easily anyway. But I don't, that, that was one that I gave slight consideration to. It's got okay. a good cast. Interesting. Except for Branagh. I just wish it was anybody but Branagh. Hey, he's, he's, Do you like him? Uh, it's, I think he's a pretty good actor. I mean, when he shows up, he was in Tenant, member, And he, he was, you yeah. know, he's had his, his time, uh, but I think he's a better actor. His films just get so kind of into themselves. That's why I'm curious about that Bee Gees film that I hadn't heard of until, until that, that moment. So, you know what brand of film I love? That's kind of a quiet, sleepy film. Mm-hmm. Dead ringers. Oh yeah. Or no dead again. Sorry. Dead again. Dead again. I was going to say, dead I like again. dead ringer. That's Cronenberg. Yeah. Dead again. Okay. Yeah. That's good too. I'm going to throw out two more, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, Jurassic World Dominion? Yep. Yay or nay? Yeah, no, everybody's back. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jeff Goldblum said we're going to have to learn to exist with dinosaurs, so let's see how we do that. Jesus Christ. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I haven't loved those last two Jurassic no. World movies. have been pretty putrid, in my opinion. Yep. Top Gun Maverick, finally coming out. What do you think? Oh, man, it's been like a year and a half, two years. Why not? Can I tell you about a movie that I've watched twice in the last month and I would think would be a great conversation on the podcast? Mm, tell me. Eyes Wide Shut. Ooh, yeah, that would be fun. Uh, I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around like kind of what's going on in that movie and just thematically behind the scenes. And we know Kubrick's a very much a manipulator and how he makes his films. And he's a meticulous perfectionist. 
And of course he died four days after turning in his final cut of that movie. Crazy movie. It's on HBO Max right now. It's a Christmas E movie. It's during Christmas time. If you haven't seen it in a while, give it a watch because it's crazy. It's just absolutely insane. What if we did okay. Eyes Wide Shut, mm. Magnolia, mm. and Vanilla Sky? Ooh, that'd be interesting. The Tom Cruise cerebral cask. post uh, late 90s, early 2000s cast. Hint of Cameron Crowe involved as well. That would be pretty good, actually. I dig it. We'll put it on the docket. Do you want to forecast what is coming? Yeah, let's forecast. Yeah, so uh, next week it's Christmas. We're going to take a week off. We're just going to relax, keep it back, and we're going to return to you in the new year. And we got a few, uh, two casks already lined up that are going to, they're going to kick ass, man. Yeah. This first one, one we've been considering for a long time, kind of like a heist uh, caper-esque uh, film and yeah, we're gonna start out with uh, director Mr. Sidney Lumet. Mm. This is gonna be a fun one uh, mm-hmm. to discuss. Uh, we're gonna go uh, and talk about Dog Day Afternoon yeah. from 1975, Five. I believe. John Cazale and Al Pacino. Attica, Attica. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> this is gonna be so much fun to talk about. And then we're gonna follow that up one with another Sidney Lumet film. I think his last movie, his last film that, that no one, no seen. one has seen, but it's borderline masterpiece. And I'll give everybody a hint: one of the characters that we talked about today plays a prominent role in that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, this or be, actresses. Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, that's gonna be fun. This and then the cast after that is gonna be just kick ass. Like we're gonna the, the new year is gonna be a lot, a lot of fun with, yeah. with all these episodes. So until then. Ladies and gentlemen, have a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, a Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. Uh, but thank you very much for giving us a good year of listens in 2021. We'll be back with you in the new year with Dog Day Afternoon. And until then, we'll see you all next time. Merry Christmas, everybody. God bless, and we'll see you in the new year. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Tune in or if you listen to podcasts and be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Spider-Man No Way Home is property of Sony Pictures releasing, Columbia Pictures, Marvel Studios, and Pascal Pictures. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Be careful what you wish for, Parker. Hello, Peter.